I think it's working. Totally super pro that intro, by the way. Um, <laughs> one day I'll learn how to start a show. I'm back. I'm back. Thank you uh, for um, allowing me to take a break, I guess. Uh, really, thank you for all the kind messages I've gotten. There's There's been tons of them, man. Um, I It's been a month. It's been 28 days since I've streamed a show. And um, it feels about that long. It feels about, it feels like it's been a month. Um, I gave an explanation and talked about in detail where I've been and what's been going on uh, last Sunday on Defected. So if you watch the first, like <clears throat> if you watch the first, like 30 minutes of Defected um, on, on the Badlands media channel, then you'll, you'll get the, you'll get the story. Uh, but basically I've been sick. I've had a sick puppy who we almost lost. And then I've also been depressed and, um, yeah, just all of those things. And I just, I just had to deal with all of that. And so I could get back and, um, I, I started to do a show this morning, uh, but my, my throat was still pretty sore last night and, uh, I decided to give it a rest and, um, yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling better than I have in over four weeks, honestly, although I still have some symptoms. Um, but it's okay. I, I mean, I'll get over it. Lots of people are far worse off than I am. Um, but I do want to say that, I mean, you guys, you guys have just been so incredibly generous. I mean, already with the rants, um, just, just unbelievable what, what you guys, what you guys do for me. And, um, it, it, while I was out, I mean, I, I made a post saying what was going on a little bit briefly. And, um, I think within a day or two, enough people had bought me coffee, uh, through the Ko-Fi link or whatever you want to you say it. Um, and other means that they paid for my dog's surgery and my dog's vet bills. And, um, I just can't thank you enough for that because obviously while I was, not making content, I wasn't getting paid. Um, you know, so it, it was, a, it was time away that was, um, I needed, it was beneficial to me, but it was also expensive for me in the, in the sense that I wasn't making any money and I was definitely spending money on my own doctor bills and, um, <clears throat> on, uh, over the counter meds and various things. And then also spending money on my dog. So I just amazing that, that this, this, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by the generosity of this community and I'm overwhelmed by the positive messages. My, I, I couldn't believe I, I, I was telling, um, my wife and BB that I think I've received over a hundred messages, either in comments on social media or DMS or emails or text messages, uh, from people telling me that either they have been wrestling with some depression recently or that a friend or family member has. Um, and, um, that they appreciated me being honest, uh, me being candid about what I was going through because it was of some benefit to them, some help to them, some comfort. So, you know, that, uh, that, um, to, to hear that is comforting to me. And, uh, encouraging to me that I could have a positive effect like that. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. I sincerely do. 
And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this community that we've, we've created together. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for it. And uh, I'm also, I'm also amazed, I'm amazed by it. So thank you guys very much. Thank you very much. Um, I'm back. Going to try and do as many shows as I can. I'll be on Devolution Power Hour tonight. Um, word is that Burning Bright is now sick, and so he's taking tonight off. Uh, so it's going to be me and John nerding out uh, is the plan right now. And in order for me to nerd out tonight, I'm going to need to catch up on these Trump cases because I'm about a month behind. I am a month behind on Trump cases, and I kind of t- I toyed with the idea of just skimming uh, filings and news reports and trying to just brief myself as, as quickly as possible. Uh, but I think, I think I would like more just to go back to where we left off a month ago and read some filings and, uh, maybe we'll rush through them just a little bit, uh, to get to some of the more meaty ones. But I think that's what I want to do is, uh, we're going to go back to the, uh, Trump cases and this, this show this afternoon, however long it lasts, uh, we're going to, I'm going to read some, some filings and we'll see what's going on with Jack Smith's cases against Trump. And, uh, we'll see how far we get. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll find out. All right. Before I present all of that stuff, see right here. There we go. There's that button. I still remember where that button is. Okay. If you do want to support the show and support the work I do, like so many of you have, number one way is justhuman.substack.com. You can do a paid subscription there. You can also just sign up for free. That's where the podcast is posted. Um, if you want to get this show as a podcast, there's about a thousand people who do, uh, which is awesome. And it's free. Completely free. So... If you're interested, that's the way to go. If you're interested in supporting the show um, and my work, the Substack is the best way to do it. Uh, but it is a subscription, so maybe you don't want us to sign up for a subscription. Totally understand that. The other thing is you can go to Coffee or Ko-Fi, whatever. I go back and forth. I like, I kind of like the idea of calling it Ko-Fi because it's like low-fi, high-fi. But it's definitely supposed to be Coffee. But if I say go to Coffee... Like, how do I say this URL and people not mistype it? You know, anyway, over here, you can buy me a coffee and I appreciate all the folks who did. It was between this stuff right here, buying me a coffee and, uh, subs- subscriptions and other things that people paid for all the vet bills and just amazing. Thank you again. Or if you want to purchase something, I have some merch over at redwhitebourbon45.com. The coffee cups are my favorite, but there are also other good products over here if you're interested. Bootleg. In all of my, um, in my link tree and on these, uh, these videos, wherever they're posted, uh, that allows for a description. In the description, there's an affiliate link. If you click on that affiliate link for a bootleg, it'll take you over there to this page where you can buy some of their salsa or their chili, their seasonings, and 
whatever you buy, I get a couple dollars out of whatever you purchase. So you click that link, go over there, buy some of their stuff. It's, it's excellent. And, uh, this one and Benson honey farm, same thing. Click the affiliate link in the description takes you over to Benson honey farms website there, whatever you purchase, um, from there, a few dollars of it, of your purchase gets kicked back to me. Both of these are products like, or all of these products from bootleg and Benson honey farm, I get these and I feed, this is what I feed my family. Like, um, not just candy, but I put the honey in lots of different things. I have honey in my coffee right now. I've been using their honey in my teas this whole time that I've been under the weather. And of course, honey is great for you and really helps. And I, I use bootleg seasonings like almost every day. I love their products and, um, you know, my, they don't pay me to endorse their products. They sent me some samples. I said I liked it a long time ago, and I'm I feel privileged to have an affiliate link with them because I really love their stuff. So, if you're interested in this type of these types of products, honey, seasoning, salsas, chili, all that stuff, click the affiliate link. Go over there, have a browse, pick something out. I don't think you'll regret it at all. Everything I've had from Bootleg has been absolutely delicious. Everything I've had from Benson Honey Farms has also been delicious. Um, and as far as their soap goes, that's my fa my second favorite thing here. Besides the the honey, my second favorite thing they have is the goat milk honey soap. It's it smells wonderful. It feels wonderful. Good stuff and good people. I I'm honored to uh, to call Mo Benson. And also Mike from Bootleg Friends. Okay. Let me cancel that stuff out. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to say coffee, but it's spelled like Ko-Fi, so <laughs> I don't know. All right, so I've had a... um. I've had an episode 224 planned for a while. Like two weeks ago, I was thinking about coming back and I was thinking I could, uh, but I ended up getting more sick and not coming back. So I grabbed a couple links, but I'm just going to skip it. We're going to go straight to Trump cases. Last Sunday on Defected, we did get a rumble rant where someone was asking me about how do I keep up with Trump's cases? And my answer was, well, I haven't been, but when I am on my game and keeping up with them, I use courtlistener.com and I use Pacer. Um, and I know the past couple of episodes, I've gone over this a little bit, but somebody did ask on Defected. So I'm going to go ahead and just quickly let people know that you can go to courtlistener.com. You can sign up for a free profile. You don't have to give them a lot of your information at all. Um, it's all public access. It's all free. But when you make it a little ac an account here, you can then sign up for alerts and they'll send you an email alert when there's a new filing. So that's helpful. And um, Court Listener is a great place to look up documents. You know, like if you ever see a document posted from a case um, and you're wondering, how can I see the whole case? You'll find the case number here. This is it right here. This is case number. And you can search it by going to the recap archive right here. You can search it right here, or you can search the names. Um, you can sort by newest cases first or newest documents first, whatever. And that's how you find these cases. And then on Pacer, that's another place that you can search. Pacers, you can also get a uh, 
a free account there. Um, and once you do, you can sign in and like, see, I already have Trump's case right here. They pulled it up for me because I clicked on it through Court Listener. But on Pacer, sometimes things hit Pacer first before they're populated on Court Listener. And on Pacer, it's like a it's a database that you that you search. So you end up running a report to pull up the case. And then here you go. And it gives you all their attorneys up here, the counts on the left side. And you keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And then here you have all the documents with their description. And then the little blue links, that's a link you can click to go look at the actual document. Um, Pacer is really useful. So is Court Listener. They work together. It's supposed to be that when you buy something on Pacer, see so you've had, like, say I want this one right here, this transcript, which it's not going to be available yet. Um, yeah, let me pick something that is going to be available that I have to pay for. Uh, let's do. So this one right here, it tells you how many pages and what file size it is. And then to view it, it's going to want you to pay uh, 10 cents per page thereabout. Right. So it says right here, 50 cents for this five page document, 40 cents for this four page document. You can do that and it, it will bill you for it. Um, but you don't have to if it's already free on Court Listener. So you check on Court Listener first to see if it's available. Like right here, this download this PDF. So that one, somebody's already paid for it and you can read it without paying for the, the service. But on Pacer, if you want some, if it's not there, See this, it says buy on Pacer, which you can't yet, but eventually you can buy this transcript on Pacer after so many days have passed. So you would hit buy on Pacer and they would let you buy it for 10 cents a page. And then once you bought it, the way it's supposed to work is it makes it free for everybody else. And that's kind of the beauty of it is that somebody goes and pays 10 cents per page over on Pacer to pull the document out and create a PDF, which then gets populated to Court Listener, which is a, a nonprofit org right here. And that makes it publicly available to everybody at no cost because somebody already paid the cost for the PDF to be generated. So anyway, that's how it works. And it's pretty darn useful. And that's how I keep track of these cases. All right, so where we left off last um, was a month, literally a month ago. And there was some stuff going on with the classified docs case where Trump and them were complaining about access to di different documents. And uh, there's nine special, I think if I remember right, there was nine like special security measure documents that were super sensitive. Um, and that's what was going on in the docs case was arguing over that. And then also this Garcia hearing thing where the government is trying to prevent Stanley Woodward from being allowed to cross examine Trump employee number four, Trump employee number four. I can't remember her name or his name. It start the last name starts with a V it's like Via Lobos or, uh, something. Uh, I don't remember, but it's a Spanish name. If I remember right, I could be missing. I don't know. The most important thing, though, is that they worked in the tech area of Mar-a-Lago, and they're the ones who came up with this allegation or who have offered this claim that uh, Trump asked them to delete footage um, 
And at one point, Stanley Woodward was Trump employee Ford's attorney. That is no longer the case, or at least represented for a short time Trump employee number four. That is no longer the case. Trump employee number four is now working with special counsel Jack Smith's uh, team and is going to be an important witness at trial, or so they say. And they want to block Mr. Woodward, who is Waltine Nada's attorney, from cross-examining Trump employee number four because there's a conflict of interest there. So those are the two issues we've been reading about. No, well, I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah, those are the, those. well, there's three, really. There's this conflict of interest thing between Stanley Woodward, Waltine Nada, and Trump employee number four. That's one. Two, there's the access and uh, just the availability of certain classified information that um, and discovery that Trump's team wants to go over. Um, and then the third thing, which is connected to the second thing, is that Trump wants this trial pushed back because there's so much classified discovery they need to go over and the special counsel hasn't been providing that discovery as timely as they should have. So those are the three issues that were being dealt with in this case back at that time. I don't know how far any of that has progressed. I've heard or I've caught casually more news about the D.C. Trump case over the past month than I have anything having to do with Cannon's case. But we're going to start with Cannon's case. And we'll just see how far we get. So the day after my last stream, or on the same day as my last stream, there was this filing from um, Jack Smith regarding this Garcia hearing. And I went and looked to see, because I'm trying to, I don't really remember my last show entirely. But I think we read this filing here. This one was posted on the 19th, which was the day after my last show. So I don't think we got to read this one. So that's what we're, that's where we're going to start. Um, there we go. Are you going to turn on? Okay, there we go. All right. Waltine Nada. This is from this is Jack Smith's filing right here. Supplemental to government's motion for a Garcia hearing. Let me zoom in for you guys. Okay, so defendant Waltine, not as attorney Stanley Woodward Jr., cannot ethically cross-examine former client Trump employee four, who will be a significant witness at trial. So this is according to Jack Smith. As the government stated in its initial motion for a Garcia hearing, filed more than two months ago, quote, an attorney's cross-examination of a current or former client presents a conflict of interest. Nor... Can Mr. Woodward otherwise seek to discredit Trump employee for at trial, including in closing arguments? The same ethical considerations similarly limit Mr. Woodward's ability to cross-examine or otherwise discredit witness one, a potential government witness whom Mr. Woodward continues to represent. After consistently denying the existence of conflicts and resisting these ethical limitations, Mr. Woodward today informed the government for the first time that neither he nor any member of his law firm will cross-examine Trump employee four or witness one at trial on any subject, and that any cross-examination will instead be handled by, by co-counsel. Mr. Woodward also appears to recognize that he may face ethical limitations on his ability to discredit Trump employee four or witness one outside of cross-examination, including during closing arguments. The court should so inform NADA and determine 
whether Nada knowingly and voluntarily waives his right to conflict-free counsel despite these limitations on Mr. Woodward. <clears throat> so Woodward has let Smith's counsel know, I'm not going to be cross-examining wit uh, witness one or Trump employee four, and I'm not going to be talking about witness uh, one or Trump employee number four during closing arguments. That's all going to be handled by the co-counsel who does not have a conflict of interest. Still, Jack Smith's team is saying they want an order from the judge that specifically bars Woodward from talking about or cross-examining Trump employee four or witness one because this conflict of interest that they say exists. It's understandable why it would exist since he represented them. Under the Florida ethics rules, quote, attorneys generally owe duties of confidentiality and loyalty to former clients. Keyword, one of the words doing heavy lifting there is generally. These duties both come into play when, as here, a former client testifies at trial against a current client in a substantially related matter. During cross-examination, the attorney might improperly use the prior client's confidential information or alternatively hold back from intense probing to avoid using those confidences. When the subject matters of the representations are substantially related, quote, the court will irrebuttably presume that relevant confidential information was disclosed during the former period of representation. And given the duty of loyalty, a lawyer cross-examining a client, including a former client, faces an impossible choice. The attorney can either vigorously cross-examine the client-turned-witness and thereby violate his duty of loyalty to the client on the witness stand, or he can temper his cross-examination and risk violating his duty of loyalty to the client on trial. Thus, there can be no doubt that Mr. Woodward's prior representation of Trump employee four creates an ethical conflict that would disqualify him from cross-examining Trump employee four. That's pretty easily understood, I think. Trump employee four does not waive his rights to confidentiality or loyalty to Mr. Woodward. And accordingly, with respect to cross-examining Trump employee four, Mr. Woodward suffers insurmountable conflicts of interest. The, the government did not request a remedy or disqualification of Mr. Woodward when it filed the Garcia motion, nor did it do so in its motion with respect to John Irving's representation of defendant Carlos de Oliveira. But the government expressly identified 11th Circuit law and ethical rules, providing that an attorney who cross-examines a former client inherently encounters divided loyalties. That makes sense. The information available to the government accordingly triggered the government's duty to inform the court of the potential conflicts and the court's obligation to investigate and consider appropriate remedies. The government did not attempt to forecast every possible aspect of the possible conflicts, outline all the potential remedies, or predict how Mr. Woodward or Mr. Irving would respond. Instead, the government believed that, quote, the information gathered at the hearing would enable the court to address any conflicts and formulate an appropriate remedy. And the government took no position at that time as to what remedy might be appropriate. Recognizing the obvious conflicts, Mr. Irving in response, informed the court that the government that he uh, informed the court and the government that he would no longer represent the potential witnesses, and his co-counsel would be solely responsible for cross-examining the witnesses at trial. Mr. Woodward, in contrast, simply denied that any conflict existed, suggesting that he should be permitted to cross-examine Trump employee four, and that was the implicit suggestion 
but now he's clarified that he doesn't plan to do that at all. The government conferred in detail with Mr. Woodward in connection with his filing on October 17, 2023, as ordered by the court, and although he acknowledged the existence of a conflict, he indicated that he believed he should be permitted to cross-examine Trump, Trump employee four on certain topics. This afternoon, Mr. Woodward informed the government for the first time that neither he nor any member of his law firm would conduct any cross-examination of Trump employee four or witness one on any subject at Nada's trial. Oh, okay. An attorney's ethical duties to testify, blah, 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 blah. It's understandable. Mr. Woodward disputed that he had a duty of loyalty to his former clients, referring to, quote, my hypothetical duty of loyalty to a former client, which again, we dispute that even exist. Similarly, when the government conferred with Mr. Woodward in connection with his filing on October 17th, Mr. Woodward continued to question whether he owes any ongoing duty of loyalty to Trump employee four. There is no basis for dispute. A duty of loyalty exists apart and, in, and distinct from the duty to maintain client confidences. Indeed, although Mr. Woodward and Mr. Irving have agreed to have another attorney conduct the cross-examination of their clients, courts frequently disqualify attorneys even where attorneys propose that another attorney will conduct the cross-examination for a former client. Consistent with these authorities, Mr. Woodward acknowledged today that his ethical obligations to Trump employee four and witness one may constrain his ability to discredit those clients at trial, including during closing arguments. Given the above, Mr. Woodward would labor under the following constraints at Nada's trial and Nada should be so advised because Mr. Woodward's prior representation of Trump employee four and witness one are substantially related to his representation of Nada. Mr. Woodward is presumed to have gained relevant confidential information, and it is difficult to imagine that Mr. Woodward did not do so. In addition, Trump employee four will testify at trial, and he will provide incriminating, important incriminating evidence against Nada and the other defendants. Witness one will also likely testify and provide inculpatory evidence. It is all but certain that Trump employee four's testimony before the grand jury while represented by Mr. Woodward. So that was the time frame when he was represented was during grand jury testimony leading up to this, uh, leading up to this, I guess it was a superseding indictment, I think. And his subsequent retraction and disavowal of that testimony will be subjects of cross-examination and redirect. The questioning may also encompass the fact that Trump employee four was represented by Mr. Woodward at the time of his grand jury testimony and that Mr. Woodward's legal fees were paid by a PAC controlled by defendant Donald J. Trump and that Trump employee four procured new counsel and quickly retracted his prior grand jury testimony. All of these facts will be relevant to Trump employee four's testimony and may come out at trial. It is the government's position that Mr. Woodward cannot ethically cross-examine either Trump employee four or witness one, nor can he ethically discredit them before the jury, including during closing arguments. Mr. Woodward has stated unequivocally to the government that neither he nor any member of his law firm will cross-examine Trump employee four or witness one on any subject at trial, and any cross-examination will be conducted by co-counsel. Mr. Woodward has also acknowledged that his ethical obligations may constrain his ability to discredit Trump employee four witness one in closing arguments. Nada should therefore be fully. This is what it's really about. Nada should therefore be fully apprised of that possibility. 
as well as the possibility that Mr. Woodward may hold back in discrediting Trump employee for witness one to ensure he complies with his obligations as a member of the D.C. bar. So this whole conflict makes sense. Like it, it it makes complete sense. Trump employee four and witness one were formerly represented by Woodward. They are now witnesses for the government at trial against the current client, Nada, of Woodward. Nada has the right to be informed of this and to understand the dynamics at play here, because his own attorney is going to have the, a conflict. That conflict is that he has a duty to keep confidential things between him and his former clients, Trump employing for a witness one confidential. He has to keep those things confidential, but at the same time, he needs to do the best job he can for his current client, Nada. And that's where the conflict exists. Woodward is now saying that he will not be involved in cross-examining Trump employee for a witness one or any, and he won't be mentioning them in closing arguments. So that's fine. That's well and fine as far as it goes, but the government still wants the judge to come without, with an order, making sure that is the case that he doesn't. Um, now to be, f I mean, obviously the government doesn't want him to cross examine them because it would, he could also do real damage, right? to Trump employee four and witness one, because he is privy uh, to a lot of things because he formally represented those people. So there is that angle too. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at with, or that's where we were with that on that day. Now, next filing, October 19th. There were a few filings on October 19th. This is a short one from president Trump's team. This is a reply uh, this one has to do with discovery and not the conflict of interest matter. Okay. President Donald J. Trump respectfully submits his reply to the October 19th, 2023 supplemental response filed by the special counsel's office. That's docket number 190. Docket entry number 190. Oh, I think I skipped ahead. Hold up. Hold up. This was the conflict of interest, self-reasonable response, October 19th, number 190. That's what we need to read 190 first. Okay, okay. Hope you guys are in a nerdy mood. And I hope you don't mind how often I'm having to clear my voice. <laughs> okay, pursuant to this court's October 17th order... And the standard discovery order issued on June 13th, the United States of America, by and through the special counsel's office, files this pleading. Per SIPA Section 4 protective orders issued in this case, the government has provided four productions of classified discovery as described below and in our prior filings. First, as described in an unclassified discovery letter to the defense stated Dated September 13th, the date of the entry of the SIPA 3 section protective orders, the government on that date made available in the defense SCIF to defense counsel with the necessary security clearances, its first classified discovery production of materials. They are documents that have Bates numbers. That's a, Bates is a system for uh, labeling 
evidence filed in a case. So it gets a Bates number. And those numbers range from one to 2,594. So you can surmise from that there were 2,594 documents or items produced in that discovery. As no, that doesn't mean there was that many pages. It was many more pages than that, but individual items that got a number. As noted in the September 14th joint discovery report filed the following day, classified discovery production one included, quote, classified documents that had been stored at Mar-a-Lago as well as other classified material generated or obtained in the government's investigation, including documents related to witness interviews, such as reports and transcripts. Second, as described in the September 28th, 2023, unclassified discovery letter to the defense, on October 26th, a second production of classified discovery was delivered to the defense skiff in the Southern District of Florida, consisting of materials between Bates Ranges 2,595 and 2,968. That would be classified discovery production number two. This production consisted of classified witness interview transcripts. So that's probably going to be thousands of pages of documents. For example, okay, for example, on September 26th, the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, placed in the defense skiff the remaining classified witness interview transcripts, and all classified witness interview transcripts are now in the defense skiff. So this is this is new to us as far as at that date it was. This they have a defense skiff now. I don't know if this is referring to the temporary skiff. That's what they were calling a skiff that was set up in Miami, I believe. But now they're calling it the defense skiff. So there is a skiff specifically set up for the defense to use. It might be the same thing as that temporary one. I'm not sure. It might be something different that replaced the temporary one. Third, as described in an unclassified and classified October 6th, 2023 discovery letters to the defense, a third production of classified discovery, classified production number three, was prepared for defense counsel and delivered to the CISO in Washington, D.C. on that date. In response to a defense request to make it available by then, we have a footnote. Okay, let's, what's this footnote? As in all federal criminal cases involving classified discovery to ensure confidentiality for the government or for the defense, the government does not have access to the defense skiff. To deliver classified discovery to the defense skiff requires the presence of either the CISO or appropriately cleared members of the defense team. Yeah, music and fiction, I am wondering if Trump and them actually got approval for Mar-a-Lago skiff to be a certified skiff again, and it's being called a defense skiff now. I don't know if that's the case. I'm going to say it probably isn't, but boy, would it be fun if it was. And if it was the case that the Mar-a-Lago skiff got reapproved and certified and all that, I'm not sure they would actually say so in the filing, right? I'm not sure it would actually become public that that was the case at this time. Okay. And da, 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 da. classified production three consisted of materials between classified Bates range two, nine, six, nine, and five, three, six, six. Wow. That's a lot. And four disc containing items such as audio recordings of previously transcribed and produced interviews and photographs. Classified discovery production number three included inter alia 
audio recordings of classified interviews, photographs of documents that were at Mar-a-Lago, search warrant photographs, material extracted from electronic devices, and certain Jinx material. Uh, Jinx material is like FBI communications, like 302s, memos, uh, text messages, things like that. On October 17th, after the defense informed the government it would be in Florida to receive classified discovery on that date, the government provided classified discovery production three in person to defense counsel at the defense skiff in the Southern district of Florida. Fourth in an unclassified discovery or an unclassified October 16th, 2023 discovery letter to the defense, the government informed the defense team that it would provide to it the following day, a fourth production of classified discovery consisting of materials between Bates ranges five, three, six, seven and five, three, eight, six. And that is classified discovery production number four. Classified discovery production four included two items. An item requested in Trump's October 9th unclassified letter. And five missing pages from a document previously produced to the defense. On October 17th, the government provided classified discovery production four in person to defense counsel at the defense skiff. Although the defense skiff is now approved for the re... Oh, man, this... <laughs> okay. The fact that they're saying it's now approved at, for anything is just makes me think of Mar-a-Lago. All right. Although the defense skiff is now approved for the review and discussion of all classified discovery, it is not yet approved for the storage of certain extremely sensitive materials, which the government has referred to as, quote, special measures documents. Let's check the footnote on that. The government understands that the chief information security officer, the CISO, is working with the intelligence community to equip the defense skiff with the requisite security measures to store the special measures documents there. And the special counsel's office stands prepared to support that with any resources requested by the CISO to do so. Interesting. Some of the materials in Classified Discovery Production 1 and Classified Discovery Production 3 included such documents. Okay, so the special measures documents connect to Production 1 and Production 3. There's also a footnote here, another one. In addition, the government learned at the time of the delivery of the Classified Production 1 that the CISO was not cleared to see about 131... Whoa. The CISO was not cleared. Whoa. Okay. Man, these, these documents are special. In a, let me start again. In addition, the government learned at the time of the delivery of Classified Discovery Production 1 that the CISO was not cleared to see about 131 pages of documents in that production. These documents were therefore placed in the defense skiff with Classified Discovery Production 2. Also at the time of the delivery of Classified Discovery Production 2, the CISO temporarily placed in a CISO-only safe about 72 pages of documents from Classified Discovery Production 1 that were intermingled with the other documents because no defense counsel yet had the clearance to review the documents and their presence in the defense safe would be an impediment to... Got to scroll reviewing other documents. 
Certain defense counsel received the necessary clearance in early October and have since had access to those documents. Fascinating. What could these documents be? As the government previewed for the defense in its October 16th letter, the materials were made available yesterday, October 18th, for the defense's review on a read and return basis. There are about 127 total pages of special measures documents, some of which are included in the above Bates ranges and the remainder of which are between classified Bates ranges 5387 and 5431. In sum, the government has produced about 5,431 pages of classified discovery plus four discs of photographs, audio recordings, and material extracted from electronic devices. The government is aware of its continuing duty to disclose newly discovered additional information required by the standing discovery rule, blah, 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 blah. That is fascinating. These special measures documents are so special that even the chief information security officer didn't have the necessary clearances to look at them. And he's the guy who has to see it all and approve where this stuff gets stored and, and make sure that the facilities, the skiffs are certified and capable of storing them. But he, first he had to go and get clearance too. The CISO was not cleared to see about 131 pages of documents in that production. Dasting. Okay. Very, very dasting. Okay, that was filing number 190 or docket entry 190. Let's go to 191. <clears throat> okay, this is Trump's reply to what we just read. President Donald J. Trump respectfully submits this reply to docket entry 190. We provided a classified supplement to this filing in the to the classified information security officer for delivery. On October 17th, the special counsel's office caused approximately 2,487 pages of documents and four discs to be delivered to Trump's counsel for the first time at a secure facility in this district. They're, they want to emphasize that. Because they've been complaining about how the way things were, they didn't have access to all the documents. And if, and then the special counsel was like, yeah, well, you do have access. They're available to you, but you have to go to D.C. to see them and you can't take them with you and you can't store them in anywhere. You can only read them and then leave. Um, so they're emphasizing for the first time here because they're wanting to portray to Cannon. They've been in a disadvantage here so that Cannon will be more inclined to push the case back to give them more time to go over this stuff. And I think also to push it back so that this case is still uh, live while the 2024 campaign is going on. They don't want this trial to happen in spring of 2024 and then be over and done with. They want this to be pushed back because a key component of Trump's 2024 campaign are these cases against him, right? So... Pushing it back is advantageous to Trump because it keeps him looking like the anti-swamp, anti-deep state candidate who 
is being persecuted wrongfully by the DOJ. Um, I don't think that's literally true that that's what's going on here, but that is the narrative. And that's the most important thing about these cases really right now. And for the next year is that narrative is out there that Trump is a threat to their system. And so this right here is, is, in, is how it gives evidence to that, right? So as explained in detail in the classified supplement, the office possessed most of these materials before it brought this case. There is no apparent reason why many of these materials could not have been produced sooner as the office. Okay. Again, this is a uh, Trump's counsel writing. And when they say the office, they're talking about the special counsel's office, just to be clear. There is no apparent reason why many of these materials could not have been produced sooner as the office agreed to do in filings and hearings before the court between June and September 2023. Even if we set aside the hours of interview, re interview recordings included in these productions, the office omits from its, quote, supplemental response that the four disks contained more than three gigabytes of data relating to six facilities approximately 13,584 additional pages and approximately 546 photographs. Thus, it is misleading for the office to contend that its classified productions have consisted of 5,431 pages of classified discovery plus four disc. Yeah. I remember last, I think it was the last show or maybe the show before is either 223 or 222. I was talking about how on this back and forth about just how burdensome the discovery is, Jack Smith's counsel is going to want to minimize it. Naturally, that's naturally that's what they're going to want to do. And Trump's team is naturally going to want to emphasize and elevate and exaggerate even just how burdensome the discovery is. And then Judge Cannon's going to have to find the middle ground. Um, that's just lawyering. That's just adversary. That's just the nature of the adversarial relationship between defense and uh, prosecution, right? It do doesn't mean that either side is actually right, right or wrong. Usually it just means that they're trying to emphasize and make the best case for their client. <clears throat> All right. On October 18th, 2023, the special counsel's office made available additional materials for the first time on a read and return basis. Some of those materials were the specific documents at issue in certain of the 793E counts. Now, I'm going to look that up again because I got to remember what the 793 is exactly. I'm pretty sure I do remember, but I just want to make sure I cite it correctly. So 793. Uh, oh, this is Chutkin. I don't want that case. I want this one. That is one thing about, uh, oh, good afternoon, Salt Muncher. That's one thing. And also, uh, Sammy the Squirrel, Bertorg Ber Bertorgo, Cat Girl. Nice to see you. All right. So this is one thing about Pacer that's really nice is it has the pending counts right here at the top. And you can just scroll right here. So right here, U.S. Code 18793F. So that's the retention of national defense information. That's what they mean here by the 793E counts. That's the willful retention of classified information. The stuff that Hillary Clinton's guilty of. <laughs> we could call these the Hillary Clinton counts. 
Okay, some of those materials were the specific documents at issue in certain of the 793E counts. Thus, after four months of delay, we were allowed to review for the first time documents that are critical to some of the serious felony charges the office has filed against President Trump. And we still lack access to facilities that we can use to write letters or motions about these special measure materials. All right, so if you guys remember from our last show that we did a month ago, sorry about that, but... We were talking the the complaint from Trump's team is that look, judge, they let us have access to these special measures documents if we fly to DC and look at them. And some of them we can have access if we arrange for them to be provided to us here in Florida, but we can't keep them. We can't store them in the facility and go reference them as we need to. And what's perhaps the worst of it is the facilities made available to us don't have a computer that we can use to actually write anything based off of these these uh, documents. So we can go in there and we can read these special measures documents, but they can't take notes on them. They can't write motions based on them. They can't file class um, sealed motions to the judge. Like they can't do anything. Like they can't work. In other words, they can't work with them. So what's the point? And that's what they're talking about here. We can't write letters or motions about these special measures materials. They're very hand, they're handicapped, right? For the reasons stated in the classified supplement, this week's productions further underscore the inaccuracies of the previous representations by the special counsel's office regarding discovery and the existing deficiencies in the office's productions to date. Moreover, the office's recent production of both classified and unclassified materials in response to our October 9th, 2023 unclassified discovery request is yet another illustration of the fact that there is no meaningful or efficient distinction to be drawn between classified and unclassified motions to compel. Through discovery requests and a motion to compel, if necessary, President Trump is seeking the evidence to which he is entitled under Rule 16, regardless of classification status. We cannot predict whether or to what extent as of yet unproduced discoverable materials are classified. Our review of the recently produced classified discovery will inform our discovery strategy with respect to materials that may be unclassified. Perhaps most importantly, we will rely on classified information in support of any motion to compel. Thus, even if we had been provided with adequate time to review the discovery, which we have not, Requiring separate motions relating to unclassified and classified discovery would serve nothing other than the office's efforts to rush ahead with the case while disregarding the defendant's due process rights and its own obligations. Finally, although our review of recently produced materials is ongoing, we submitted classified discovery requests to the office today in an effort to resolve disputes relating to these deficiencies without the need for judicial intervention. In light of the office's late productions and because we plan to continue to work in good faith to address these issues short of motion practice, the application of the court's stay order on October 20th, 2023 deadlines is appropriate while the court considers other pending adjournment requests. Signed, Christopher Kais, back on October 19th, All right, let's there's other filings on that date, so let's go to this one. Um, October 19th, paperless notice scheduling a hearing. 
for November 1st. Next supplemental supplement to the response having to do with NADA and the Garcia hearing. Let's see what this is. Wow, this one's putting some, they're putting uh, some personality in this one, starting it off with a quote from Hamlet. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Neither in its motion, this is from Trump's team, neither in its motion for Garcia hearing. Its reply, nor its supplement in support of the same, does the special counsel's office assert that defense counsel for NADA has any conflict of interest in the continued representation of NADA. Despite prior representation of Trump employee four or continued representation of witness one witness. I saw, I saw, or I saw music and fiction mentioned in the chat, music and fiction mentioned it in the chat earlier. Witness one, if you guys don't know is Evan Corcoran. Who is a snake. I think, I think he's a total snake. Uh, tried to entrap Christina Bob. But I don't know. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not a snake and he's totally leading the special counsel's office on because that's what Trump wants him to do. That could also be the case. But I had to make a bet on it. I put a dollar on him being a snake. All right. Moreover, even... Wait, there was a footnote. Footnote. Although not mentioned in its supplement, defense counsel also informed the special counsel's office that should the office actually make efforts to secure witness one's testimony in this trial... Defense counsel will ensure that witness one obtain alternate or co-counsel to advise him concerning any such testimony. Okay. Moreover, even where he has to do so, the special counsel's office neglects to even cite the recent opinion of the 11th circuit in which the court held that where a defendant is represented by multiple counsel, the fact that one counsel is quote laboring under an actual conflict of interest does not contravene the defendant's sixth amendment rights. Instead, the special counsel's office seeks to micromanage defense counsel's handling of any potential conflict arising from the trial testimony of a witness. That's true. It does come across that way that they're trying to micromanage him. There's no indication of conflict resulting from the representation itself, no indication of attorney-client privilege information at issue, and no occasion for cross-examination by the counsel in question as co-counsel is available for the same. Footnote. A fact that defense counsel acknowledged. Yep, they did. At the outset, special counsel's office improperly asserts that the 11th Circuit's opinion in United States v. Raw stands for the proposition that defense counsel, quote, suffers insurmountable conflict of interest problems. However, in Ross, the circuit recognized that each case turns on its facts and that a district court's scope of discretion in addressing questions of conflict is substantial. Indeed, a key factor for the district court in Ross was that the representational conflicts and successive representations of defendants were, quote, insurmountable given the nature of the defense of each defendant to common conspiracy charges and the extent to which defense counsel were involved in crafting and presenting defenses to those charges. So he's saying, like, look, in that case, they're citing the insurmountable conflict was based on the nature of the defense that those defendants were putting forth because their defenses in those cases had been substantially crafted by the counsel with whom they had the conflict. That's not the case here. Here, there, all, all that happened here was Woodward represented these people while they testified before a grand jury. He didn't help them craft a defense 
against any charges against them or anything like that. Here, there is no such classic blame shifting at issue in the potential testimony of Trump employee four. Special counsel's office cannot plausibly assert that defense counsel will try to show that any crime was committed by Trump employee four. All right. Their defense counsel acknowledged seeking to use privileged information about the original client to show that the original client had committed even more serious crimes than the original client now witness it now witness had it admitted to. Indeed, none of the limited non-presidential cases cited by the special counsel's office, the handful of cases in which district courts accepted the conflicts, conflicts argument of the government, addresses the situation here involving the very limited representation of an individual whom the special counsel's office wished to question in relation to a matter that later developed into a criminal prosecution of another client. To that end, the special counsel's office also improperly relies on the 11th Circuit's opinion in Frund versus Butterworth for the proposition that there is any presumption that the defense counsel's cross-examination of Trump employee 4 or any other zealous representation of Mr. Nada gives rise to a presumption of utilization uh, or utilization of privileged information. All right, so all that Nada did, or all that happened with Woodward, I should say, is that he represented Corcoran or advised Corcoran and Trump employee Ford while they testified to a grand jury, which basically means he sat there, listened to the question, and then advised them whether or not they should answer that question. He's basically protected them. Like he's getting them advising up like in a police interrogation, like don't answer that question. You might incriminate yourself kind of stuff. You don't have to answer that question like, or limit your answer to that question or plead the fifth, like that kind of thing, that kind of thing. It's not that he was there crafting their testimony or their defense or anything like that. He basically just helped them not incriminate themselves during the grand jury testimony, or at least that's my understanding of what he provided to them, which any lawyer could do that. And the fact that he did that for them doesn't now mean that there's a conflict here. Very interesting. I wonder if, I wonder if Cannon is actually going to rule against the government here in a way and not bar Woodward from cross-examining Witness one and and uh, Trump employee four because there actually is not a conflict of interest at all. I'm thinking more and more that the special counsel knows that witness one and Trump employee four can be picked apart by anybody. They can be picked apart by Woodward or another counsel, right? but they're trying to protect them specifically from Woodward because they're trying to take some game piece off the board. I hope that makes sense. Not to the prior client. For several reasons, the inconsistent positions of special counsel's office on such a continuing presumption show it does not apply in this very different context. Okay, let me see. What is this footnote? Here, the party asserting a conflict, the special counsel's office, has already fully debriefed the former client, Trump employee four, and has been made aware of information previously provided in the limited representation. Thus, in this case, we do not have a defendant claiming an actual conflict, 
and a disadvantage with respect to the restrictions his counsel faces. Rather, we have a defendant who is waiving any conflict, and more importantly, we have apparently all of the attorney-client privilege information already disclosed to the special counsel's office. Indeed, it is noteworthy that in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, the special counsel's office has taken precisely the opposite position with respect to privilege communications. Specifically, in that district, the special counsel's office took the position that there that where a witness represented by counsel in a government compliance matter is not forthcoming with their counsel, a crime fraud exception applies, voiding the attorney-client privilege. While Mr. Nada vehement, vehemently, vehemently, there we go, I can say that word, I promise, vehemently opposes any application of the crime fraud rulings made in a faraway district to this case, it is nevertheless impermissible for the special counsel's office to tailor the positions it takes before courts and or grand juries in the various districts where it seeks an advantage in its prosecution of President Trump and his co-conspirators. Because it appears that the special counsel's office well knows what was disclosed to defense counsel by Trump employee four, the special counsel's office cannot maintain its position that the revelation of the same is barred. Put differently, the assertion of the special counsel's office of a presumption of continuing privilege in this context, where the special counsel's office sought and obtained new counsel for Trump employee four for the purpose of providing a means for Trump employee four's testimony to change and for his prior assertions to be explained by him, all of which was done not in the district where this case is pending, but in a faraway district, raising separate issues of a grand jury misconduct, which Cannon has brought up before, by the way, warrants development of the record at a hearing so as to ascertain to what extent any applicable privilege has been waived by Trump employee four's disclosures to the special counsel's office. At a minimum, if the special counsel's office persists in asserting that privileged information remains an evidentiary hearing is warranted. They want a hearing about this again, given the unique facets of this case, defense counsel respectfully submits that this court deny any relief requested by the special counsel's office beyond a request to hold a Garcia hearing for the purpose of advising NADA. So they're, they're saying, look, judge, we want an evidentiary hearing to make sure everything that the special counsel's office is doing is above board and as regards to this. And we want, we're okay with another Gar- Garcia hearing, but we don't want Woodward barred from anything. They may get a win on this. I don't know. They may have already had a win while I was not paying attention and you guys already know about it. So they're asking for an evidentiary hearing. Next. Next day, Judge Cannon said, paperless minute entry for proceedings held before Cannon. All right, there was a hearing anyway. Garcia hearing as to Waltine Nada held on October 20th. Let me zoom in a little bit right here. The court found that defendant Nada made a knowing, intelligent, and voluntary waiver of any potential or actual conflict of interest arising from Woodward's former and current representation of the two remaining potential witnesses identified in the special counsel's motions order to follow. Okay. Here's the order. Order denying as moot. The press coalition's motion to intervene. Okay. 
speedy trial report, notice of attorney appearance by McNamara, order following, Gar so this is on five days later, order following Garcia hearing and accepting waiver of defendant Nada. <coughs> Pardon me, I should have muted. Can I see this order? All right, let's pay 30 cents. Oh, cannot locate. What do you mean you can't locate it? All right. All right. Let's let's see if we can locate it by scrolling. This is was it entry 97 98 198. So this is going to be docket entry 198. Surely it's available to us. View document. Please work. All right, it's going to download and let me bring it up. All right, what did Judge Cannon say? Order following Garcia hearing and accepting waiver of Walton Nada. This matter comes before the court following a Garcia hearing. The hearing was conducted after a full briefing on the potential conflicts of interest arising from Woodward's representation. Defendant Nada attended the hearing and answered questions under oath. The court found that Defendant Nada knowingly and intelligently and voluntarily waived his Sixth Amendment right to conflict-free counsel arising from any actual or potential conflicts of interest arising from Mr. Woodward's current representation of Witness 1 or former representation of Trump Employee 4. Quote, a criminal defendant has presumptive right to choice of counsel and court should hesitate, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Da, 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 da. A defendant's right to choose counsel is not absolute. The court has independent duty. Da, 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 da. Applying these principles and in consideration of the full record, it is the determination of this court that the identified potential conflicts of interest do not warrant disqualification of Mr. Woodward as trial counsel, nor has any party moved for such relief. By the way, that's they haven't exactly asked for that, but they're inching towards it. And they're not getting it. Nevertheless, under the circumstances presented, the court finds warranted arrangement agreed to by defendant Nada as to the potential cross-examination of examination of witness one and Trump employee four should either individual be called as a witness in this matter. Sasha Dadden or day Dan, the local counsel for defendant Nada shall conduct the cross-examination of those witnesses with this understanding and satisfied, satisfied that Mr. Woodward would provide effective and ethical representation to defendant Nada in this matter. The court accepts Defendant Nada's waiver of his right to conflict-free representation and authorizes Mr. Woodward to remain as trial count trial counsel. Okay, so they didn't. Ex it's a win. It's not exactly a loss for Special Counsel Smith, but it kind of is. Like they didn't exactly ask for. Well, they did in a live hearing. At one of those hearings, they were suggesting, at least, that the judge should bar Mr. Woodward from cross-examining or even mentioning Witness 1 or Trump Employee 4 at trial at all. And Judge Cannon didn't do that. She accepted Waltine Nada's waiver. Woodward is this, is, but there's an agreement already. The court finds warranted the arrangement agreed to by Defendant Nada 
So Nada and his has already agreed with them. Like, look, I'm, we're just going to have a different counsel cross-examine witness one in Trump employee four. Is that okay? And the judge says, yeah, that's warranted. That's fine by me. So, yeah. What Jack Smith really wanted was for Cannon to come and say, oh, sorry, there's there's a conflict of interest here. Woodward is gonna not isn't gonna be allowed at trial, or Woodward's not gonna be permitted to do certain things, but she didn't do that. Okay, supplemental response. We're gonna buy some more documents, I think. Because some of these are not on here. So 197, that was or 198. <coughs> I haven't been around, so nobody's been buying these documents, I guess. I accidentally closed this out. Let me open it up again. Okay, so 199, supplemental response to discovery order. Let's get it. Waiting for download. Gonna open it up. The government's reply. On October 19th, in response to the court's October 17th order, the government filed a supplemental response to Sandy Discovery. To provide the court additional information. Later that day, defendant Trump filed an unclassified response and classified supplement. We read both of those filings today, which made incorrect and misleading allegations about the discovery record in furtherance of his attempt to delay the pretrial litigation and the schedule for May 20th, 2024 trial date. This reply briefly corrects. The defenses, thanks, music and fiction. Music and fiction sent me six bucks. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm probably going to spend it all in one place, I think. <laughs> probably today. I'm going to spend it all in this place on Pacer. Uh, totally worthwhile. Thank you, music and fiction. Okay. The defense has made it available. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. This reply brief, reply brief corrects the defense's misleading statements and sets the record straight. As of October 6th, the defense has had available to it nearly all unclassified and classified discovery collected by the government to date. Nearly all is not good enough. As set forth in prior filing cited below, and the government understands that the, the defense skiff has been approved to store all classified materials in this case, including the special measures documents. Man, I just can't help but wonder if the defense skiff is actually the Mar-a-Lago skiff. The government has met and exceeded its discovery obligations to date. And the discovery record provides no cause to delay these proceedings. First, defendant Trump alleges that the government's discovery productions have been late and specifically alleges in his classified supplement that the government's production, third production of classified discovery was untimely. The allegations are wrong. As set forth in prior filings, the government's discovery productions have been prompt, fulsome, and transparently made. Skipping some citations here. The fact is that the entry the 
that the since the entry of the protective orders for classified discovery on September 13th, cleared counsel has had access to considerable classified discovery. Considerable does not equal all. And as of October 6th, the government has made available all of the classified discovery of which it is aware, except for a discovery subject to proceedings under SIPA Section 4. So it's not all. It's not all. The government's unclassified and classified discovery productions through September 14th, and so on and so on. As for the government's third classified discovery production, the government made it available beginning on October 6th because that was the date proposed by the defense. In fact, the only deadline of discovery classified discovery set forth in the court's scheduling order was for the first production, with which the government complied. In the largest set of documents in the most recent classified production, a set of about 1,400 pages of emails described in Defendant Trump's classified supplement consists mostly of jinx material, which this court has indicated is not due until closer to trial. Moreover, despite Defendant Trump's accusations, Defense Counsel was hardly in a rush to review the government's latest production of classified discovery. As the government explained in a recent filing, it informed the defense on October 6th that the production had been provided to the CISO and inquired the next day when the defense would resume its review of classified discovery in the defense skiff. So the government could arrange for it to be delivered there. Yeah, but I think at that time they were still delivering it and then taking it away as soon as they stopped, they were done reading it. Defense counsel waited 11 days from which from October 6th until October 17th to receive the materials in the defense skiff. The date on which Defendant Trump's counsel began their review of the latest round of, the classified, round of the classified discovery, not including special measures documents, was a result of their choice, not the government's delay. In any event, the government's latest classified production was available to the defense less than a month after the September 13th entry of the protective orders in this case. The defendant... The defense has not been prejudiced by the timing of the government's disclosures, much less that classified production. Footnote, the government delivered certain classified discovery to the defense skiff before September 7th, but it was not available to the defense until September 13th, but not all was available. After the, okay, so that means that they're ta- the, the, the temporary skiff, I think, is what they're referring to. Because if they're going back that far to December to September 7th, then I think the so-called temporary skiff is what they are now calling the defense skiff. Not sure, though. Okay, the volume of the government's third production. Second, Defendant Trump's descriptions of the scope, content, and volume of the government's third production of classified discovery leave the misleading impression that the government provided the defense a vast amount of new digitized material on four discs just days before impending filing deadlines. Not so. To begin, Defendant Trump alleges that one of the discs included 13,584 additional pages of discovery. That is wrong. All but 15 pages of that 13,584-page set had already been produced in unclassified discovery. And the reason the entire set of materials, including the previously produced unclassified pages, was provided together in the classified discovery is that the defense asked that it be done that way. 
The 13,584 pages consist of multiple copies of documents from a box of scheduling materials from Trump's presidency stored at Mar-a-Lago and elsewhere in West Palm Beach. During the investigation of this case, the government obtained duplicate copies of the box's contents, including from the box itself, as well as from a laptop and a cloud storage account to which an aide to defendant Trump had scanned copies. Totaling the 13,584 pages, only 4,242 of which are unique. Okay, so really we're talking about unique 4,200 pages, and 15 of those pages were missing until this production. 15 of the pages were classified. On June 21st, the government produced to defendant Trump the unclassified digitized contents of the box containing all but the 15 classified pages of the total 4,242 unique pages. During a meet and confer on September 20th, the defense indicated that rather than receiving productions of only the classified pages extracted from the electronic devices separated from the digitized unclassified material already provided in unclassified discovery, they wanted to receive any classified pages from electronic media together with surrounding contents so that it could they could ascertain where the pages have been stored. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Back in June, the special counsel gave Trump's team all of this material because it was unclassified. It was over 4,000 pages, but they had 15 classified pages removed from it. Trump's team asked them to give them those 15 classified pages within the same context they originated, which would mean giving them all over again, all of those, those other pages that are unclassified. Makes sense. The government accommodated the defense's request. As for the other three discs made available on October 6th and about which they are complaining, they too contain many, many materials to which the defense already had access. One of the discs contained 43 photographs of documents that former counsel for defendant Trump turned over to the government on June 3rd. In response of 2022, oh, going all the way back before the raid. One of the discs contained 43 photographs of documents that former counsel for defendant Trump turned over to the government on June 3rd, 2022, in response to a grand jury subpoena. A copy of each of the depicted documents was produced to the defense in the first classified production on September 13th. Another disc contained two metadata files and 501 photographs from the execution of the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago on August 8, 2022. About 456 unclassified photographs from that disc were provided to Defendant Trump in the government's first unclassified production back in June, 2021, 20, June 21, 2023. The remaining photographs included photographs of seized classified documents. And the last disc contained classified audio recordings of interviews the transcripts of which were provided to the defense and the government's first and second classified discovery productions. Okay. The special measures documents. Third, defendant Trump claims in his classified supplement that the special measures documents could not be discussed in the defense skiff when counsel resumed review of materials there on October 17th and 18th. That is misleading. On October 13th, the CISO informed both of the government and the defense that the two defense skiffs. Okay. Now there's two of them. Whoa. 
Uh-oh. Okay, I'm back to thinking about Mar-a-Lago skiff. Check this out. On October 13th, the CISO informed both the government and the defense that the two defense skiffs, Defense Skiff 1, which I think I would reckon was that one they were referring to as the temporary skiff, and a newly renovated Defense Skiff 2, which are located within a city block of each other in Miami. Ah, never mind. It's out the window. It's in Miami. Had been cleared for review and discussion of all classified materials, including the special measures documents. Hmm. All right. So it's not Mar-a-Lago. Okay. They've been cleared for that. And initially on October 17th, the special measures documents were delivered to Defense Skiff 1 by control officers who had couriered the documents there from D.C. The government's understanding is that an equipment failure deactivated a security measure that prevented discussion of the special documents. We just had a mishap, Your Honor. We just had a malfunction. The following day, October 18th, council moved one block over to Defense Skiff 2, which was authorized for both review and discussion of all the classified discovery and to which the special measures documents were re-delivered. Regardless, the government understands that Defense Skiff 2 has been approved to store the special measures documents, and the government is prepared to arrange for prompt delivery of the documents there at the CIS CISO's discretion, which means they're not there yet as of this filing. A laptop. Guys, we got another laptop. There are so many laptops in these things. <coughs> Hunter's laptops and Wiener laptops and Pelosi laptop. Now we got Trump laptop. Fourth, defendant Trump asserts in his unclassified response and classified supplement that the proceedings must be delayed because he had not been equipped with a classified laptop on which to write discovery requests and pleadings. This is also misleading. In fact, the defense has been equipped since September with a classified laptop cleared for writing correspondence and pleadings concerning all classified materials, <clears throat> except for the special measures documents, which comprise a small fraction of the overall classified discovery. Well, that doesn't speak to their significance, though. The defense has made use of that laptop, submitting to the court two classified filings and addressing to the government an 11-page classified letter with dozens of discovery requests. Regardless, the government understands that four laptops have been approved for the defense's use in writing correspondence and pleadings relating to the special measures documents. Oh, good. The defense's allegations about the government's compliance with its discovery obligations are wrong. Okay. Okay. All right, what was next? That was like 99 or 98. 99. Unopposed motion for remote appearance by Trump was 200. Paperless order granting that motion. Order. Here's an order from Canon from November 1st. Thank you, Rhea. That's very generous of you. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. OK, 
Okay, this is an order from Judge Cannon. It's a rather lengthy one. It's 15 pages. Order following SIPA Section 3 Supplemental Briefing. This matter comes for the court following the sealed hearings on the motions for protective order pursuant to Section 3 of the Classified Information Product Pro <laughs> Procedures Act. Procedures. I, I know that word. I can say it. Procedures. And the supplemental briefs filed thereafter by the Office of Special Counsel and the defendants as it relates to Nada and De Oliveira. To avoid delay in discovery review by defense counsel, the court entered protective orders following the sealed hearing. The court left open the need to modify. Da, da, da. <clears throat> Upon review of these materials in the full record and pursuant to the statutory text and context of SIPA, the court hereby reaffirms the protective orders. Any request by the Office of Special Counsel to delete specified items of the classified discovery for any defendant. This order does not authorize the disclosure of any information. Okay. I'm not actually sure how interesting this filing is. Earlier in this case, the OSC, I mean the Office of Special Counsel, submitted its Section 10 Notice to Defense Counsel for Trump. Further Section 10 discussion may be warranted to the extent the Section 10 notice is based on information not produced to Trump. They don't get the same stuff. Like, don't the same charges or clearances. So like Nada and De Oliveira aren't going to get the same classified productions that Trump's team is because they haven't been charged with anything like that. Uh, like what Trump was charged with. Let me, let me scroll down to where the order is. Cause I think this is rehashing what is going on with SIPA and as it relates to these two clients, what is her actual order here? The previously entered protective orders under Section 3 remain in place. It may be that the special counsel meets its burden to restrict the defendants from whatever quantity of classified information it seeks to restrict, but Section 4 is the proper mechanism to do so. Okay, we're going to skip. We're not going to read all 15 pages of that. I might be messing up by that. What I want to... <clears throat> I want to stick with what really concerns Trump. Notice of filing in the District of Columbia by USA. Supplemental response. Oops. I want to open up a new tab. All right. Special counsel's office writing. Files this pleading to supplement prior responses to the standing discovery. This pleading complies with local rule. Per the protective order, the government has provided seven productions of unclassified discovery to Trump, Nada, and De Oliveira. Per the Section 3 protective orders issued in this case, the government has provided four prior productions of classified discovery. On Halloween, the government provided a fifth production of classified discovery to the council for the defendants. Classified production number five consists of two items. Classified memorialization associated with a witness interview conducted on October 6th, including the transcript and audio recordings of that interview, and a three-page document produced in response to Defendant Trump's October 19th classified discovery letter. The government responds to specific items identified in the discovery 
the standing discovery order as set forth below, demand for reciprocal discovery. The government is providing information. Okay, where is A? It starts with B, C, D, and J. It doesn't give you, I guess there's another list. It's citing. Demand for reciprocal discovery. United States requests the disclosure and production of those items described and listed in paragraph B of the standing discovery order. The government is providing information or material known to the United States that may be favorable to either defendant. The government has disclosed and will continue to disclose any payments, promises of immunity, leniency, preferential treatment, etc. The government's discovery productions include grand jury testimony. Okay. Then November 1st, they had a hearing. The court heard arguments from the parties on defendants' pending motions to continue. The pretrial deadlines temporarily stayed pending order to follow. So Trump's team got a win because Cannon stayed the deadlines. Paperless order on notices. The parties are hereby reminded of the requirement of local rule, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then we have a sealed filing on November 3rd. November 8th, there's the transcript, but we can't read it yet. It'll have to be... The release of transcript is set for February. Another transcript from a hearing. Another transcript from a hearing. November 9th, we have another class... We have another sealed filing. More transcripts. Okay, November 15th, or November 10th, we have a order from Canon. What is this order? Order granting in part defendant's motion to continue pretrial deadlines and denying without prejudice motion to adjourn trial. Okay. The court has reviewed the, reviewed the motions, the responses, et cetera, and the additional filings. The court also held a hearing on these matters on November 1st. Following review, it is ordered and adjudged as follows. The defendant's motion to continue pre-trial deadlines are granted in part for the reasons stated below. Defendant's motion to continue trial, currently set for a two-week period commencing on May 20th, 2024, is denied without prejudice. So, <clears throat> that means Judge Cannon is not changing the trial date as of yet, but she did it without prejudice, which, which means it can be brought up again. Before addressing the instant motions, the court reviews the material on July 21st. The court granted in part the special counsel's motion to continue trial, resetting the deadlines in accordance with a detailed schedule of SIPA and pretrial deadlines, et cetera, et cetera. On July 27th, after, the, after a hearing and the entry of the court scheduling order, a grand jury returned a superseding indictment. The superseding indictment in, added a third defendant to the case, Carlos de Oliveira, and added an additional count and other allegations yielding a total of 42 counts. Following a reasonable period of time to obtain appearances of counsel, De Oliveira was arraigned, defendants Trump and Nada were arraigned on the superseding indictment also, In the months that followed, special counsel moved for a Garcia hearing, we're aware of that. Special counsel also filed contested motions for entry of a protective order over the classified information, et cetera, et cetera. 
Turning to the substance of discovery, the record as it has developed in this case reflects an unusually high volume of unclassified and classified discovery. Even as far as SIPA cases go, along with challenges associated with the storing and handling particular information at issue in the superseding indictment, these matters have been aired at nearly every hearing conducted to date, first during the initial scheduling conference on July 18th, then during a sealed SIPA Section 3 hearing on September 12th, and most recently during the November 1st hearing when discovery figures were presented in a more complete and current form. All told, by the latest numbers, the court is advised that this case involves approximately 1.3 million pages of unclassified discovery, approximately 60 terabytes of closed-circuit television footage spanning at least nine months, and 5,500 pages of classified discovery. Let me look at the footnotes. Defense counsel advised during November 1st hearing that the data stored in the folders and downloads processes at a very slow rate, making review cumbersome and requiring additional equipment. The special counsel also has pr produced several disks containing approximately three gigabytes of classified information. Special counsel reports that the material on the disk is duplicative of the 5,500 pages of classified material produced in hard copy. All right. And as far as classified discovery is concerned, the full scope of such information, including discovery directly pertinent to the substantive counts in the superseding indictment, was made available to defense counsel only recently on October 17th, further contributing to delays in defense review. In the meantime, the litigation security group remains in the process of managing various issues associated with document review in this case, including read and return requirements that have prevent have presented unique logistical hurdles not commonly present in SIPA litigation. She's talking about the special measures documents there. And finally, counsel for NADA did not receive final clearance until October 25th, precluding him from any classified discovery review. Oh, hey, Dwayne. Good to see you. In the midst of the foregoing... The process of establishing an accredited facility in the northern, northern division of this district remains in progress, slated to be completed in early, 20, oh, in early 2024. So there is a skiff being constructed in the northern division of the southern district of Florida. So that would mean not Miami but it's not going to be completed until early 2024. That, yeah, music and fiction, that could be the Mar-a-Lago skiff. <coughs> could be. Could be. Don't know that it is, but it could be. The investigation in this case commenced in February 2022, but no efforts were taken to initiate the earnest, in earnest the establishment of such a facility until after this case was indicted, ad adding additional logistical challenges. Finally, following the court's November 1st, 2023 order on SIPA Section 3, anticipated SIPA Section 4 litigation in this case will be, without dispute, more robust than initially forecasted by the special counsel prior to entry on July 21st. Uh, the scheduling order that they came out. So she's saying, yeah, Jack Smith, this is going to be a lot more difficult than you made the court aware of back in July. The special counsel seeks to withhold from defendant Trump an unidentified amount of information marked as classified. 
seeks to withhold from defendant Nada all but one page of 5,500 pages marked as classified and seeks to withhold the entirety of the classified information from defendant Odier Oliveira. These matters will be the subject of SIPA Section 4 litigation to begin in accordance with this order and will necessitate detailed court review of a significant volume of information, plus more briefing and hearings following contested defense motions to compel. All of this leads to, instant, to the instant motions. Defendants seek a revised schedule of pre-trial deadlines in this case, citing various reasons, delays and omissions in the production of discovery from initial commitments by the special counsel, including on materials related to charge counts, sizable increases in the quantity of unclassified and classified discovery from earlier estimates, inability to access some of the classified discovery until October 17th, contested motions to compel discovery that have only now started to come into focus, substantial disputed SIPA Section 4 litigation, difficulties reviewing subcategories of the classified discovery, the absence of a secure facility in the Northern Division, and conflicting schedules and other Depending cases involving defendant Trump, cases with one case of which Jack Smith himself brought. In opposition, the special counsel recognizes the need to continue some of the pretrial deadlines, acknowledges some delays in the production and review of classified discovery, and recognizes the high volume of discovery in the case. But the special counsel opposes any material adjustments to the current deadlines on the view that, quote, nothing material has changed since the court set the trial date. The special counsel also disputes defendant's contention that SIPA Section 4 litigation should come, at least in its initial form, from motions to compel discovery, a point on which the court agrees. Discussion. The court has reviewed the instant motions and the full record. Upon full consideration, the court deems it most prudent, given the evolving complexities in this matter, to adjust the first batch of pre-trial deadlines as specified in the chart below and to deny without prejudice defendant's premature motion to adjourn the trial date. So she says, hey, I agree the schedule of, of pre-trial deadlines needs to be adjusted, but the trial date does not need to be adjourned. <clears throat> That's understandable. First, and the most significantly, and most significantly, the quantity of discovery in this case remains exceedingly voluminous, even more so than initially thought. To be sure, the special counsel has taken various steps to produce discovery on a regular basis, but even with these efforts, discovery has increased sizably from initial estimates. Classified discovery did not become available to defendants in its complete form, including on substantive counts, namely the 793s, until October 17th. Clearance and read-in procedures have only recently reached near closure. For assembled counsel of record and discovery review as a whole has generated concrete challenges given the sheer amount of materials and the sensitivities of the inf information involved. These evolving and unforeseen circumstances require a reevaluation of the initial period for defense discovery review as contemplated initially in the court's July 21st order. And they make plain to the court what due process requires. Defendants need more time to review the discovery in this case. This order aims to afford that opportunity in a reasonable fashion, balanced against the public's right to a speedy trial. 
Second, although initially projected as minimal, SIPA Section 4 litigation in this case, as properly understood under the context of the statute or the text of the statute, will require more time for party briefing and court review given the, vo- the volume of information sought to be deleted from defendants. Sought to be deleted from defendants. This process to be conducted ex parte, absent special circumstances to the contrary, is not simple, and it must be done carefully and in a manner attuned to the sensitive nature of the information involved and to the competing legal theories of the case as presented by all sides. Third, defendants represent that they intend to seek to compel discovery not only from the special counsel and the FBI, but also from other government agencies. Without expressing any view on the merits of those anticipated motions, it is evident that the parties are at odds on significant issues related to the scope of discoverable information in this case, and such disagreements will require substantial judicial intervention. This, too, adds complexity to this case, both as a matter of briefing, court review, and future rounds of SIPA Section 4 litigation. Fourth, although less important at this stage, the court cannot ignore the realities of pre-trial and trial schedules in two other criminal matters identified by defense counsel. Namely, the one in, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, Jack Smith's other case in D.C. and then the case in New York um, from Alvin Bragg. Defendant Trump recently filed an opposed motion to stay in the District of Columbia after a, and a scheduling conference in the New York matter reportedly is set for late February 2024. Although the special counsel is correct that the trajectory of these matters potentially remains in flux, the schedules as they currently stand overlap substantially with the deadlines in this case, presenting additional challenges to ensuring Defendant Trump has adequate time to prepare for trial and to assist in his defense. For these reasons, consistent with the rationale set forth in the court's earlier scheduling order, and in consideration of material developments in this proceeding to date, the court resets the first set of pretrial deadlines as follows and sets a scheduling conference to address remaining deadlines in a reasoned manner. In reaching these conclusions, the court has conducted a careful review of the SIPA cases cited by the parties and has surveyed the SIPA landscape as a whole to better understand the parties' competing positions. Having done so and finding no comparable SIPA case presenting the combination of factors discussed herein, the court is confident that the adjustment below appropriately reflects the needs of this case and more than accord with the pace of complex SIPA litigation generally. Revised schedule for initial set. Okay, so completion of clearances is now November 16th. SIPA section 4 deadline is December 4th. Defense response to special counsel motion for disclosure December 29th. Joint discovery status report January 9th. Defense motion to compel discovery deadline is January 16th, and defense challenge deadline for Section 4 is January 23rd. Special counsel response due by February 2nd. Hearing on Section 4 motions will be February 15th through 16th. Pre-trial motions now February 22nd. There's a footnote. To the extent there is overlap between anticipated pretrial motions and motions in limine, 
The filing party should so advise the court prior to the pretrial motion deadline. Okay, done and ordered. So, Trump and team partially got what they wanted. They got deadlines moved back, but they didn't get a change in the trial date. That's fair enough in my view. And this battle has given us an insight into a lot that has been going on with uh, these documents, right? Like the back and forth here that we've been reading has given us, given us interesting things to chew on as regards to those documents and the skiff. All right, I've been going for almost two hours now, but I think I have... Let me see what this other filing is, because I think I can do a little bit more, and then I'm going to rest my voice before uh, Devolution Power Hour tonight. Yeah, that's right, Music and Fiction. They, Because she did that without prejudice, they can bring that back up later on. So this battle can continue, and then they can come back and say, hey, we need to move the trial date and they can make another they can make another argument for that. Okay, set deadlines. Unopposed motion for rescheduling of the hearing. Oh, I think that actually catches us up. That's it. Because here's the order. And then they change the schedule. And then the unopposed motion here, they already agree on both. Yeah, that catches us up. We're done. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We caught up on the Trump docs case. Now there's this other matter, the DC case, but I'm just going to have to save that for the next episode, <laughs> which I'll try to do tomorrow. Um, well, tomorrow might actually be a long shot because uh, got a school thing going on for my, my boys tomorrow and then also have the dog trainer coming for the first time in several weeks now that Hercules is doing better. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe I can, maybe I can do at least like an hour tomorrow and try and catch up on these cases. I want to catch up so that I can be back where we were. I'm enjoying following Trump's cases the way we followed Durham's cases, although it's more challenging with Trump since there's several going on at the same time. Um, speaking of Hercules, he's upstairs howling right now. He's a talker. I've never had a dog that talked as much as him. He he is very vocal. Which at times is a good thing, but and pretty adorable, but at other times it's just like, oh, shut up. Stop. <laughs> but yeah, glad he's really thankful that he's feeling better cuz there for a while it was uh it was bad. It was real bad. So, all right, folks, thank you all very much. It is good to be back and I'm looking forward to power hour tonight. Um, not sure what all, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss Trump cases and probably this Jonathan Booma thing, 
I was digging a little bit on that this morning, trying to put together a timeline um, with John Jonathan Booma. <clears throat> if you don't know, he's the FBI agent who got raided. Uh, he's a LA, he's out of the LA field office, and he got raided by the FBI uh, yesterday. No, Monday. Um, and it's related to possible mishandling of classified documents. But I, I'm I'm pretty interested in it for a number of reasons. One, Jonathan Booma is the guy who recruited Peter Thiel to be an informant. And Peter Thiel is a Trump ally, a massive Trump ally. Um, and also one of my favorite people in the world. And, you know, him and Elon are close together and started PayPal together and all of that. And then um, Jonathan Booma also has been a whistleblower trying to talk, trying to, uh, he's gone to the House uh, investigators on the judiciary and also to the Senate judiciary about interference in investigations he was doing into Rudy Giuliani being uh, compromised by Russian intelligence. But Rudy Giuliani is another asset of the DOJ. So it's like, okay, is Jonathan Booma a bat? Like, is he an asset of the bad FBI trying to work against the good, the assets of the good FBI, such as Rudy and Trump and others? Or is Jonathan Booma actually a good guy and he's, he's making these claims as narrative shielding and to put distance between him and Rudy and Trump? Um, and you may think, well, why would you ever have that notion that he would do that? Well, I have that notion because Jonathan Booma is one of the people responsible for getting Igor Kolomoisky added to the sanctions list. So he seems like he's an anti-swamp good FBI agent, but then he's making all these outlandish claims about Rudy. So then he seems bad, and then he's getting raided for this classified document thing. Um, and then, yeah, music and fiction. And then there's this other guy, Everett Stern, who's saying he's a whistleblower and he's speaking out against Jonathan Booma, trying to expose him as being a bad guy. But to me, Everett Stern comes off as a crank and comes off as like he's trying to get ahead of something because he goes to Twitter and starts going on a Twitter rant about how I'm the one who got him raided. Let me tell you what's going on. And it's a little too much for me. It reminds me of Gal Luft because Gal Luft came out and started making all these claims, trying to get ahead of what was about ahead of his indictment because he's, a, he's crooked as crooked can be crooked as the Brazos us Texans would say. And I mean, this is a complete international mobster he worked for, uh, worked for CEFC and was gun running and um, all sorts of things in Africa and the Middle East. Told, really bad guy. But remember, he went on a rant on Twitter and started complaining about how Biden's FBI is trying to shut me down because I got the dirt on the Bidens. When really, he's 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 the dirty guy um, who got caught. So um, it's interesting. It's 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 very to me. It's like a it's one of those classic, really fun spy v spy type things, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm just uh, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm still trying to put it together. You know, I was thinking about how you get these spy v spy type scenarios, 
and how do you know who is good and who is bad? And you really can't, but I think the only thing you can do is have some anchor points. And for me, like Trump, Scavino, Rudy, General Flynn, I anchor on them being absolute patriots. And it doesn't mean I believe every single word they ever say, but when the when the dust clears and the the fog of war is is blown away and it, the sunshine is fully on them, they're patriots doing the right thing for their country. So I don't I kind of like anchor on that and then try to figure out what everybody else is doing. And so if you're speaking ill against Rudy, my natural inclination is to think, well, you are probably working for the swamp or the deep state against Rudy, who is an absolute patriot and a very important asset of the DOJ. Um, <clears throat> but there could be other reasons why you would speak ill against him. It might be narrative shielding and to create separation. So, by the way, on that point, y'all probably saw that um, there was a report about uh, Trump and his clearance, that Trump still had clearance with the Department of Energy. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, where is it? Let me find it. Yeah, let me go let me go over this real quick. So, um it came out that uh Trump had Q clearance. <laughs> or you would think it was Q clearance. He had he still had clearance up until last summer from the Department of Energy, which means Trump was indicted over this classified documents issue while he still had a security clearance. Now, it doesn't mean he had a clearance that gave him access to all the documents he had if you assume that those documents were actually classified at the time he retained them, right? So, go right here. Dawson had this. This is what the document is that came up. And this this document said, there is a category of document. Wait, where did it come from, by the way? I'm trying to remember. Um, I want to I want to go over what Dawson has to say about it, but first I want to get yeah it's Q clearance it's absolutely Q clearance. Um, hold on. I want I want to know where this document is from, and Dawson didn't put it right there. Where what is it actually from? Is it from this article? What is this article? No, that's not it. I mean, it's part of it, but I want the article. 
Okay, Trump's lawyers told Judge Cannon they discovered a June 2023 letter asking DOE to remove Trump's active security clearance. That would be a few weeks after he'd already been indicted. We didn't actually see that in our filings, so I wonder if that was at the hearing. They said that. Maybe that's it. Maybe they said it at the hearing and this is from a transcript. I don't know. But okay, here he is. Let's go back to this. <coughs> so it's, Trump, it's from Trump's document case. So it says, there is a category of documents that it, it actually, in unclassified discovery, we learned a week ago or a week or two ago that there is a certain category of documents that require what is called a Q clearance. And it includes one of the charged documents. And we learned that it's a Department of Energy program. We learned that President Trump continued to have an active security clearance even after he was indicted in this case with the Department of Energy. Now, that, in our view, is the definition of Brady. It was, I'm not going to say, this, yeah, this is a transcript. I'm not going to say it was buried. It was provided to us in discovery as part of the miscellaneous materials at some point in the third or fourth production. It is literally a memo from the Department of Energy dated June, late June of this year, June 28th of this year, from 2023, saying that, oh, we should remove Donald J. Trump from the person who has an active security clearance. He has been charged with possessing a document in violation of federal law when he has an active security clearance with the holder of that document. So, that means that one of the documents, at least one document, that Trump has been charged with illegally retaining under USC 18, Section 793, <clears throat> connects to the Department of Energy. And Trump had a clearance for it up until this past summer, a Q clearance. I think of all the possible explanations for why Trump would still have a classified security clearance two plus two and a half years after he left office is what um, Dawson has put forth is that Trump had a security clearance for nuclear weapons information. And Dawson later came out with a thread later this um, it, he Dawson's been on fire lately, by the way, Dawson has put out some really great threads lately. You should go check them out. But one of them that's really great, it's here somewhere, is um, about Trump's work and um, against nuclear proliferation. And so if Trump still had this clearance, it means that Trump was probably still doing work against nuclear proliferation. Um, I think that's what's going on here, is that is that Trump had that clearance. And here's one of the threads right here. I share, it's really good. Uh, Dawson's been on fire. He's been he's been writing some great threads about Trump's work as an asset for DOJ and at least one or more uh, intel agencies, and it makes all the sense in the world. And you know, I don't agree with Dawson on everything, but Dawson's a fantastic researcher, and I always find it to be worth reading his threads and considering what he is putting forth. And when it comes to Trump's history and work as an asset. Also, Felix Sater, he gets into Felix Sater's work in this thread, and it's just, it's just brilliant. It's a, it, it is just brilliant. So, go look that up. 
But I think that's what's going on. I think that Trump still had a clearance because he was still doing work on behalf of the Department of Energy um, and that it relates to nuclear relates to nuclear weapons. And I don't know, man, maybe it relates to uh, Iran as well. I don't know. Pretty interesting. All right, guys. Dogs are going crazy. I got to run. Y'all have a blessed day. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for all the Rumble rants. Thank you for the cookies over on um and the shades over on uh pilled. And yeah, thank y'all for patiently awaiting my return. I am back and uh I'll be making more shows as soon as I can. I'll see you tonight on the Devolution Power Hour. Y'all have a great day. I'll see you then. <laughs>